Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lag Radio, your weekly source of video game appreciation, chiptune idolatry, super sweet giveaways, and so very much more. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and I come to you this evening, not as usual, to present a full episode on our game of the week, but instead I'm joined by a very special guest. He is a Los Angeles-based composer who has worked on such high-profile titles as Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, the upcoming Devil May Cry 5, and the recently released critically and commercially acclaimed remake of Resident Evil 2. Mr. Cody Matthew Johnson, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm honored. You consider me special. Oh no, please. The honor is mine, really. You are super accomplished and it's it's really an honor to have you on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, I definitely want to try and get some context, some foundation to your work first. So if it's okay, I want to start off with some of your background. Yeah, hit me. Ask away. Cool. All right. So if I'm not mistaken, you've been a musician and actually a multi-instrumentalist for quite a few years now. I wanted to know what kind of first led you to want to work in this notoriously competitive music industry. Um, oh, what led me to want to? You know, it's, it's always one of those situations. I think people always say that they want to work in the music industry, but really I think the music industry chooses who actually succeeds. Uh, and I think it has been an accumulation of, you know, a fairly eclectic set of skills, you know, ranging from, you know, what I did in grade school, through college, and uh, kind of all accumulating now as a professional career. Okay, so it was kind of just a smooth transition when you were, I assume, building up skills as more of an amateur musician, and it was just kind of a natural flow into the professional realm? To say it was smooth is not accurate at all, but, (laughs) I mean, without, you know, diving into long of a, you know, biography about myself, um, I grew up playing a lot of brass instruments is the first kind of thing that I did. I played trumpet, um, led to other brass instruments I experimented with, trombone, tuba, and orchestral, classical, and jazz styles. Um, I also picked up a couple other instruments along the way, just kind of jamming with friends and whatnot, included, you know, bass, guitar, uh, specifically metal guitar, uh, classical guitar, some other things. Um, and then it was in high school where things kind of changed a lot for me. Um, I was in this catastrophic near fatal accident where I was hit by a car while I was on my bicycle, rendered my uh, my embouchure for those of you who have some musical knowledge. Oh, yeah. um, so I couldn't play trumpet. You know, I lost a bunch of teeth. Jeez. I'm physically scarred on my face and neck. I don't have the muscle anymore to play trumpet. So from there, I kind of pivoted and looked for ways to express myself musically in as many outlets as I could because going from you know everything to nothing going from trumpet solos and you know first chair to literally nothing uh was pretty pretty devastating so I just started writing songs I took what I had and I just kind of built on top of it writing songs producing music you know playing in more bands getting into sound design and electronic production, something I'd never done. Uh, And then I also started, you know, uh, I I joined a drum and bugle corps, you know, working with the front ensemble, then as music director and a conductor. And it was in my senior year when I was like on track to, you know, go to med school, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, that's what I wanted to do. And a buddy of mine was at a party and he's just like, so good at guitar. Uh, it blew my mind. I'm like, how do you do this? And he told me about a school in L.A. I was like, all right, I'm going to just see what the word is about this. You know, just 
what's going on because he just blew my mind musically. And I researched the school and I decided to uh, make a small pilgrimage to do a, a summer class. And like during the summer class, I was like, okay, this is it. I just canceled all my plans to go to normal college. I was like, I'm just going to come here. Went back home, packed up my car. I haven't been back since. That's not true. I mean, that's a metaphor. I have. <laughs> sure. But you understand what I'm saying. I just, just ditched everything else. I was like, oh, okay. And when I got out here, I realized like I didn't want to be in pop music, but I found this like strangely eclectic career around film music because I just had all these traits to do it from pop music and rock music, orchestral and sound design, music direction, conducting, just like all these weird skills that I'm like okay at, but not a master at any of them. Mm-hmm. All kind of kind of just melded together into working out really well in the film music industry and now video games. Jeez, wow, what a that is quite the story to go from something that's so heart wrenching and I'm I'm sure just so devastating to you into something that's become yeah, I mean obviously you're just taking off, especially in, in the past couple of years. It's just been like launching into the stratosphere with all these high profile titles. So yeah, wow, it's such a inspirational story to me in particular. Uh I was curious about the point at which so was it the the event itself that drove you from just wanting to play music into specifically composing or was that some other point future yeah i had toyed with writing music but i never really wrapped my head around it but it was i would say it was the event itself that just i had a lot going on you know upstairs that i needed to just get out and uh and music was just the way that i did it you know performing but also writing i wrote so much music by the time I finished high school, I had written four or five albums worth of music, but I was only an amateur at recording it and getting it down. So, you know, all that music is lost to the wind, but, hmm. you know, that's how it goes, I suppose. Sure. I, I, what about the production and the sound engineering and all that? Was it just kind of a matter of something that you were interested in? You wanted to be just the solo man behind your project? Did you want to just specifically diversify your skill set and thinking about the future a little bit more? or? Um, you know, I, I didn't really ever think of it that way. I, I suppose in my small, small town, no one knew how to do any of this stuff. So it was like, if you wanted to record your songs, you figured it out. Um, so, I, and I think at one point I watched a video from a website called boynaband.com where they were producing on Reason. I was like, oh, that looks awesome. So I, I just, you know, uh, used my, my, uh, internet skills to find a probably not free version (laughs) or probably not a legit version of reason and i just started plugging away and i did that for a long time and i kind of just just kept doing it It was fun you know it was fun to make something sound like something else and you know mash things together in a not organic instrument way coming from you know purely orchestral and organic background it was fun to distort things and mangle stuff sure and was this before the the era of youtube too um you know i think youtube is was taking off but i i hadn't really had my hands on the reins uh social media youtube that sort of wise yet um you know i think we all had a myspace and stuff but (laughs) i hadn't fully understood the power of it and had I, I, you know, I'd probably be a YouTube star by now. No, I'm joking. But, um, <laughs> but that, you know, if I would have rinse and repeat now, I think YouTube could have been like an awesome way to kind of find an audience that wasn't just, you know, my friends and family. Right. Um, 
and it, it, yeah, it, it, YouTube is a great avenue for a lot of young musicians to get noticed and find an audience. I was just thinking more in, in lines of the learning and teaching, and I was thinking about how it's, oh. it's probably very easy for people to kind of watch YouTube videos these days and learn logic or reason or what have you. But I think that there's something that's lost from the days before that when you would just do as you did, which was just tinker and, and fool around, kind of like how kids play around when they're young and they, they don't care about what it sounds like. like. If it sounds like crap, then all right, well, we'll just do something else differently next time. But people get too wrapped up in this, I want to learn the official way, the best way, what's the most efficient way, and I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. In that regard, I misunderstood your question. And yes, you're absolutely correct. When I was doing all this, like I said, there was this one website, Boy in a Band, and it was like, how to recreate an Usher song. I'm like, that's cool. So I like <laughs> did that, and then I had nothing else to do. I'm like, okay, so guess I'm going to go listen to this David Guetta song and figure out what's cool about that and try and do that. Um, and then just kind of do my own thing at the same time. And just, yeah, tinker, push knobs, push buttons, you know. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. And listen, I have some of those audio files, you know, kind of the, the, the bounces of what I did. And believe me, they're horrible. <laughs> but like listening, I'm like, oh, I, can't, I don't remember if I did that on accident or not, but that singular element in this garbage fire is really cool. That's fantastic. I love it. And now it's built up to up into this really, honestly, kick-ass industrial sound that you've made for yourself. I got to know, you mentioned David Guetta, you mentioned Usher, very different from what you're currently working with. <laughs> uh, where are your musical roots besides Guetta and Usher? <laughs> what what uh, artists have kind of influenced you? To, to say Geta and Usher are part of my musical roots, um, I wouldn't say they're part of the roots. They were like a phase, you know? Everyone yes. Has phases. I still love pop music, don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but honestly, I grew up listening, other than just orchestral music, you know, I was more pushed into that by my family than, uh, you know, willingly deciding one day, yeah, you know what's really cool? Trumpet. Trumpet's awesome, but at the time, I didn't think so. Um, but jam into like black sabbath and acdc records with my dad um a lot of like classic metal and classic rock and then through middle school i kind of just took whatever like mp3s and you know itunes songs that my brothers had bought and i just snuck them onto my mp3 players to figure out kind of what they were listening to um and sure enough you know I, my my oldest brother was listening to some of the heaviest music even today you know, it, it's out there. Bands like Immure and Demon Hunter and some of these other bands that mm -hmm. is just like, you turn it up to 11 and, you know, you can rip your own head off. And I just started listening to that a lot. Um, and even today, I still go back to those records and I, I still listen to stuff like that in the car, in the gym, you know, wherever. That's where I get most of my, my listening in and kind of deep research about I love that evolution. Yeah, that's great. Do you still listen to much classical orchestral stuff? You know, um, all those composers out there who are traditionalists uh, and who probably listen to my music and just think, oh, my God, why why do people pay him to do anything? <laughs> um, I, I don't listen to a lot of classical music anymore. You know, uh, I have a lot of friends who are classical composers and musicians and um and, you know, I have relatives who've gone to Juilliard for, like, you know, atonal piano. And it's just not, you know, I love it, but it's not something I go back to. Oh, yeah. Um, it's you not know, the classic influence now, but I think more than ever, I'm more focused on 
what's coming and how do I get there and how do I push the way my music sounds to the, you know, 18th level, um, you know. So yeah, I couldn't tell you. I would fail a test at classical music history. <laughs> I mean, I went to school. I did all that stuff. And then as soon as I graduated and closed my textbook, it all went away. That's fine. I'm sure you've synthesized a bunch of lessons and stuff from those days, too, just with composing and stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at some point, it becomes second nature. You study it so much, and then you, you're not you know, being conscious of it, but you're like, oh, this is a five of two, you know, whatever, doing all this harmony things, and you learn about counterpoint, but you're not actively thinking about those things. They just happen naturally. So, yeah, without classical music, I'd be you know, I never would have learned trumpet. I wouldn't have a sense for melody or harmony. Uh, so, you know, thank you, Beethoven. This goes out to you. <laughs> what about your uh, background in video games? Are you a lifelong gamer, recent convert? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think the first chance I had to do a video game project, even before I knew I was getting paid, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm there. Like, I had been playing video games every day of my life since I can remember. Um, I think I we were playing like Sega Genesis with my dad, like Vector Man and Sonic, all the way to, I remember playing the very first Marvel versus Capcom game. Oh, yeah. Spending way too actually spending way too much time playing that into games like Kingdom Hearts and playing, I think I was playing like Devil May Cry 3 or something with some friends. So it's like this very serendipitous full circle event, you know, where I've invested most of my free time playing video games and here I am spending my not free time invested in video games. Beautiful. I love it. What about uh, recently? What's been sucking away your free time most when it comes to games? Oh, I I just beat uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, um, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> oh, no spoilers. I mean, even if I explain to you the ending, I don't even know if like 90% of the listeners would be like, oh, yeah, I remember all those characters. If you didn't play like Dream Drop, and Birth by Sleep, both of them, and then you didn't watch Rechain Memories, like, there's probably 60 hours of content that if you didn't digest, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I um, love it. So, yeah, and then I, I think I did God of War before that. I'm, I'm waiting for uh, waiting for the Devil May Cry Collector's Edition to show up, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, yes. Actually, even, even you know, plugging myself aside, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for that game. Cool. And uh, you mentioned God of War. Was that your best of 2018? or? Um, I'm trying to think what else I played in 2018. Uh, I spent a lot of 2018 just playing, you know, I go, I have this relationship with World of Warcraft where I've been playing it off and on since like 2006. Mm -hmm. So uh, I played mostly Blizzard games in 2018 and then I picked up God of War right towards the end. It was pretty amazing. It probably is my favorite game of last year, though I did not play many other than Warcraft last year. That's fair. So if we were to compare some of your early compositions, maybe some of your solo work to what you've done recently with MVC Infinite, DMC5, now Resident Evil 2, what would you say has changed musically, if anything? What has changed? Um, I think I've managed to break out of a traditional mold of what, like, if you listen to rock, you're like, oh, that's what rock should sound like. It's like, nope that's not what my rock sounds like. Like I've managed to step outside of what traditional genres sound like just, you know, straight up what you'll hear on the radio. Um, and then there's always this thing where 
many media composers, when they do like a genre, it's not like quite fully baked. It's always like halfway rock, you know, and it, and rightfully so. It needs to fit the game itself. Um, but I think more than anything, I've been able to step outside of the boundaries of a specific genre. You know, if it's just orchestral music, it's like, no, it's now at this point, I'm mixing or- orchestra with like crazy synths and production methods that aren't traditionally matched with orchestra. Same goes for rock and uh, you know electronic production and things like that. And, and sort of taking these things to the next level and expanding the box in which they exist. Cool. I'm, I'm, we all are very grateful for you breaking through that mold. I think I think more people need to just kind of, especially I think the current rock industry is in a little bit of a rut with kind of discovering or rediscovering itself. Whereas like, say, the rap and hip hop genres have been kind of experimenting more and more and seeing a lot of success. Absolutely. Completely agree. So speaking of specifically Capcom, let's talk a little bit about your history with them. How did you first get started working with the team? So getting started with them... Um, I manage a studio uh, with my collaborator, Jeff Rona, who also wrote a song on Devil May Cry. He wrote Crimson Cloud. Um, And there we work on a bunch of projects. Um, You know, in the past, I was just an an assistant, kind of just pushing faders, mixing and stuff. Um, And Jeff had this gig show up. And it was, hey, Jeff, we have 20 tracks for a game coming up but we want every single one to be completely different. Um, and we want them all to be like EDM tracks. So Jeff pulled together a team of people. Um, so instead of, you know, composing the whole thing himself, they wanted, you know, it sounded to sound like, you know, a producer uh, produced every single track. So every character sounded completely different. And so that game was Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. And so I was part of the team um, to do that. We, had pitched a bunch of tracks stylistically to Capcom and they kind of picked out their favorites and matched them to characters and then, you know, said, yeah, that style works good for this, that style works good for this character. Uh, And then we were on our way. So at the end of the day, the tracks that I had sent, they they had paired with characters like uh, for Dante, for Arthur from uh, one of their early games, I did a Mega Man track, Captain America track, just a handful of tracks across the whole game. Um, and that's kind of where we got started. You know, I produced those tracks, and they loved them, and went into the game. And then it was shortly after we wrapped on Marvel vs. Capcom, where they said, hey, we have another game. We love which whoever did the metal stuff on the last game. We love that. <laughs> and they were like, oh, it's this, you know, this punk Cody Johnson. <laughs> and, uh... They're like, yeah, we want him to, you know, try out for this new game we have coming up. Same, similar style, metal plus electronics. In the back of my mind, I was like, is this a franchise? Like, it, do I know what game this is going to be? And sure enough, it was. It was Devil May Cry. Wow, geez, that's so cool that you could just go. It, it wasn't so much that you were just throwing songs like cold into into the ether and just hoping that that they get noticed and picked up, but you had this breakout gig and then they just saw the quality content you were producing and it just has become kind of a snowball effect, right? Yeah, something like that. And, and, and you know, Capcom has multiple development teams. So, you know, the same team that worked on Marvel vs. Capcom didn't work on Devil May Cry, didn't work on Resident Evil. I'm sure there's some overlap. You know, we worked with some of the same audio directors. Um, but... It was just like word of mouth. They were like, oh, these guys are really good at that. You should hire them for this game. 
And then I think the director of Resident Evil was like, we heard your music on Devil May Cry. We really want you to do this song for our game. Um, so, you know, I've kind of just been passed around to all these different departments at Capcom. Uh, and it's been great. Not complaining at all. <laughs> Very good. I think that's a perfect time, actually. Let's take a short break. Let's listen to the track itself. So uh, up next is going to be this outstanding kind of true ending, right? This kind of Easter egg track from Resident Evil 2. It's titled uh, Saudade. Is that correct? That's correct. The um, The director of Resident Evil decided to name it that because he the, the lyric in the chorus, The Pain of Remembering, resonated with him for this with this it reminded him of this brazilian word saudade which is just that where it's this nostalgia and looking back and simultaneously feeling joy and pain perfect all right well let's take a listen to that right now we're going to listen to it from the man himself cody matthew johnson alongside vocalist shim guitarist peter di stefano and drummer elmo lovano but don't go anywhere we're going to be right back with some more questions in just a bit enjoy and we're back. Now, the track that you just got done listening to, Saudade from Resident Evil 2, uh, it was just this remake that came out, I believe, about a month ago. And uh, we are in studio right now with Cody Matthew Johnson, the composer of the track itself. Now, coming hot off of your work with Devil May Cry 5, how did it feel when you were approached first with uh, RE2? Um, I was very excited to have another job, of course, as anyone would be. <laughs> um, we didn't know what game it was going to be. We were kind of in the dark for a while. Um, you know, when we got the emails, well, it's more of a call. When we got the call, it was like, hey, there's, you know, Capcom wants you to do another song for a video game. And they want you to get started like yesterday. I'm like, great. Is that it? Like, is that all I get? <laughs> They're like, no, they want it to be like grungy. I'm like, grungy. Okay. And they were like, yeah, like American grunge. Okay, and then, like, slowly over the course of, like, two weeks, they started just, like, kind of feeding me more material. They're like, yeah, like a, like an American guy in the 90s would listen to it. I'm like, American guy in the 90s. Like, what game is this? Um, and then I just, like, started doing a very deep Google search, as, you know, anyone would. <laughs> uh, and I, like, put pieces together that, like, this remake was leaked, like, an idea of it. The original was like, you know, Leon, American guy, like young, he'd be like listening to edgy grunge music. I was like, oh, and I kind of like froze up a bit. I'm like, okay, this is a lot more serious than I thought it was going to be. Um, not to say I wasn't taking it seriously, but as soon as you like mention Resident Evil, you know, the hairs on the back of your head stand up a little bit because it's like, you know, the most iconic, you know, genre inventing you know, survival horror game series out there. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, the game itself, the original, was released back in 98, if I'm not mistaken. So how did you go about kind of channeling that 90s aesthetic while also probably keeping in mind that you're making a game for release in, you know, 2018, 2019? Yeah, it actually was pretty difficult. Um, you would think it would be easy. It's like, oh, just write a grunge song. Not, not quite as easy as it sounds because they came to us, they're like, okay, one you know, we want a grunge song. And it, honestly, they sent like a brief. Um, and I did, I wrote a whole song and they came back to me. They said, okay, one crucial detail that like we want to reiterate is this isn't a song for Resident Evil. 
this is a song that like Leon listens to. This is a song that we want to seem like we licensed from the time of. You know, it's it's to invoke nostalgia and not to match, you know, the sonic landscape of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So I took what I had and I just scrapped it. I was like, okay, that is the perfect way to describe what I need to do. They said, we want something that sounds modern, something that kind of falls into this new grunge revival that's starting to happen. Um, but it needs to feel like it's the 90s. There needs to be a certain nostalgia. And specifically, they had an interesting point. Um, they said something along the lines of like, when you're listening to grunge, like Kurt Cobain, Nirvana, something like that, it's like you don't know what the what they're saying. You can't understand the lyrics, but you can <laughs> feel them. Like whatever you're listening to, it just gets you amped. It gets you edgy. It gets you emotional. There's so much energy, and even without knowing what they're saying, you have this deep emotional reaction, and that was more important than anything. Uh, and so I wrote the music. I love the music. We worked on it for a little bit, but honestly, I would say the first draft of this song that I wrote, they were pretty happy with. And then the hard part after that was finding an artist that could match that same sentiment of something modern, but has a vibe that throws back um, to that nostalgia. doesn't necessarily sound like the 90s, but it feels like the 90s. Oh, okay, so that's where Shim came in then. That's where Shim came in, where we had reached out to... First of all, it's so hard to find an artist to understand the concept of, like, video games and, uh, I mean, not to say they play, but management and things like that just get in the way every time because, um, you know, nickels and pennies go out the window every step of the way, so it's, it's hard to get people to jump on board as quickly as we needed them to and, you know, understand the concept of you know, just the business behind music and video games. It's not like music and film or TV that a lot of artists are familiar with. So we found artists that might work, but then, like, management didn't work out, budgets didn't work out, or we, like, were able to find artists who could work with our timeline, and but they weren't a stylistic match. So many people were too modern. Um, we found this great band. And their production was amazing. The singer was amazing. But I was like, dude, just make it dirtier. Just like, just suck a little more. And couldn't do it. Um, and uh, and and so ultimately we landed on Shim. And it was kind of this perfect moment where like Shim understood exactly what we needed. Because he had started playing in the puppies in the 90s and was like full-on rock grunge and then developed with them to a more modern style and then when he left the band and now he has started his own uh solo rock project it is more modern rock production so he has this range you know he experienced both ends of what we're looking for he's not he's not some young you know 18 year old punk who only understands what modern rock sounds like right yeah i found it really appropriate actually that i think his previous band they got together in 97, which was just a year before RE2, so it was kind of just this perfect alignment. Totally. totally. So when it came to you and him working together, how did you actually tap into the mindset and, and really nail the feeling of melancholy with regards to the, to the lyrics? Um, you know, we had this story given to us, and, and it was one of the very first things 
we we got from Capcom, and it was from the director, um, or one of the directors. Sorry, there was two of them on the game, and um, and the way he wanted to capture the emotion was through the story that we had translated to us about a man who is looking back on his life. And he remembers a time where he like came into this city um, and he had so much hope and he had so like his, you know, he had dreams and hope and the city was bustling and young and had, you know, so much potential. And now 20 years later, he's looking back at what he used to feel for the city and what it actually became. And, you know, the, the city didn't manifest these dreams and hopes for him. Um, and it's not like his life turned out bad. And it's not like he's unhappy with where, where he is, but he's reflecting to a time where he had so much hope and he saw so much potential. Um, and that is exactly the emotion we were trying to channel. So, and that's where the line, the pain of remembering came. We, we sat down at a dinner with Shim um, is myself, Jeff, who produced the track, and Shim, and we just started talking about this feeling. Um, you know, we read the story, and we kind of talked about the mindset of this man, you know, looking back at his city and then looking at it now, and kind of what has happened to it, and this feeling of remembering the past, and it simultaneously bringing pain and joy. Um and so we, we kind of riffed on it, and I, I was sitting there, and someone said the line, yeah, it's like that pain of remembering. And Shim busts out his phone and just starts writing stuff down. And Jeff and I look at each other, we're like, well, this is kind of rude. Like, he's just texting at the table. We just had, like, this great moment. He's like, no, sorry, I'm writing lyrics. We're like, all right, my God. <laughs> um, and four hours later, Shim was visiting in L.A. He's from Australia. And... Four hours later, you know, we're all like kind of tipsy. We have a few too many tequila sodas, and then <laughs> we uh, we go on our merry way. And I'm just at home watching a show or something, and I get an email and a text from Shim, and he's just says, "Check this out." And he just took the track, the instrumental that I had written, and then just sang into his phone, and it pretty much was the version of the song you hear today. Um, he just he had this spark of you know genius creativity and just lined everything up and knocked it down and what what's amazing to me are these parallels that fans are starting to draw from the lyric to the storyline that like i didn't quite catch when we were writing the song and i, I mean i need to confirm with shim uh if he did some like you know a plus research or what but it's miraculous how much it parallels the game itself yeah, that's something that I found. I scoured through literally hundreds of comments. I was struggling to find anything negative. I saw that basically well, many of the fans were resonating a lot with the message, and they were mentioning about how it's from the perspective of Leon and trying, again, not to spoil the story too much. They were saying that it's definitely him and not Claire, or it could be Claire. or Yeah, all this, all these fan theories. It was really fascinating to hear that, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe those lyrics were written not specifically in mind with that story, but it definitely translated. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't consider myself a lyricist, um, and this is why we bring people like Shim on. He has a deeper understanding of, like, you know, what lyrics can do to a story and keeping them, you know, specific enough, but also vague enough to apply to everyone. That's so cool. 
Well, like I said a little bit earlier, you've definitely been catapulting yourself into the spotlight lately, having worked on these super high-profile, well-known, like, in the entirety of all gaming history franchises. Is there any particular series you think you would want to contribute to most in the future? Oh, God. I got <laughs> to be careful, because, you know, some of my friends and colleagues work on these games. Uh, I'm not trying to steal their gigs. Oh, like, sure. Scenario. Um, games that I would love to work on. Um, I think one of the coolest soundtracks that might be underrated is the Wolfenstein 2 soundtrack by Martin Stig Anderson and Mick Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, Mick Gordon is a legend in his own right, and he single-handedly like redefined video game music with like his Killer Instinct and Doom scores. Oh yeah. But I think Wolfenstein 2 is probably one of the coolest sounding soundtracks. Plus, it has like this like country swagger to it, and for some reason, a lot of my music ends up sounding southern sometimes. So I would, I would love to put myself in that environment. I would love to do that. Um, and what's another game that would be great? Um, something like The Last of Us. Like just slow it down a little bit and just like experiment with tone and instruments and just getting emotion out of the simplicity of you know just the nature of an instrument. Um, that sounds like it could be a fun thing to do, too. Oh, yeah. Those are both fantastic choices. I've covered both of those games in the past year or so. Mick Gordon and, and Doom, of course, very much a uh, one of the most badass of all soundtracks I've heard recently. And uh, so awesome. Gustavo's work on The Last of Us and The Last of Us yeah. 2 is, I'm sure, going to be just as good. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got the new Resident Evil 2 remake that was just released about a month ago. We've got Devil May Cry 5, set to release in just over a week from now, actually. Is there anything on the horizon you can share with us? Maybe just like a little hint or teaser, perhaps? There's, there's, oh, I can hint and tease, you know, hint and tease things all day. But um, we have uh, a small indie game we're doing right now. Not small, I mean, small is in, like, scope of the project, but we've written a couple hours of music for it. Um, so I can't really say more than that at this point but that'll be coming out soon um you know it's nice to slow things down and kind of just it's a chamber orchestra score it's nice to change pace a little bit and kind of get outside of the workspace you've been you know head creative space you've been in um and i am finishing up like a solo album um when i started working on marvel versus capcom kind of you know sparked some creativity in me and then devil may cry got like a little closer to what I at my core want my music to sound like. And I've just started experimenting kind of with fundamental, what fundamentally sounds me. Um, and I put like an EP out uh, last year with just a few tracks and I'm finishing up the album. Um, I'm going to have it fully integratable and wise too. And I'm going to be, uh, you know, more or less selling it. You want the wise files? Come take them from me. Cool. So, so that's coming up on the horizon too. But that's kind of just in my free time, you know, whenever I can pick up an hour or two here or there. Sure, yeah. I like that you have the outlets of both kind of the slower indie game title that's coming up and then also your solo work, which, like you said, is a little more close to the Devil May Cry series. I, I like that you have both of those outlets to balance yourself out too. So yeah. uh, in closing, 
any parting messages you want to share with your fans? All the, like I said, hundreds of people who I saw commenting on on this particular Saudaja track that, that has just, yeah, gone over so well. A parting message to fans. Um, I'm deeply honored that people have responded positively to my music on both of the games. Um, coming from a gamer myself, that means a lot because it means the immersion is working, that the music is getting you into the headspace of that world, of that, you know, of that character. Um, and anything less than that is unacceptable. I think a developer's job is to give you a way out, you know, even for a couple of hours, to transport you to another world um, for, you know, whatever reason you want to go there, to have fun, to, you know, de-stress, to meditate, just to look at some pretty mountains and walk around. It, it, you know, the goal is to just help, you know, help you, transport you, and kind of help you cope with whatever's going on. So that's that's an honor to me. And you know, there's no higher you know, compliment, and you know, that I think I could ever receive than having fans genuinely have an emotional response to my music. So that inspires me to keep doing that, and I hope I can. Cool. Thank you so much for, for producing this and for coming on and, and discussing your work. I was really glad that we were ha- able to have such a such an awesome conversation only discussing pretty much just the one track. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd love to come back. Have me back another time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hit me up as soon as that indie, indie title comes out or, or any other game that you're going to be working on. I'd be happy to have you on. Happy to do so. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cody, for coming on the show. You can find him at CodyMatthewJohnson.com as well as his Twitter, CodyMatthewJ. And as for us, we will see you next time here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.